0: In a few months, the Olympics will be arriving in London. And four of Britain's greatest medal hopes are Jessica Ennis, Mo Farah, Rebecca Adlington, and Chris Hoy. He already has quite a lot of medals. Now, I've never met any of them, but I know what they're thinking about this morning. Each one of them and their teammates. Is thinking about the Olympics. That's what they were thinking about yesterday, too. And that's what they're going to be thinking about tomorrow. Their lives today are ordered around future events. What they do today is done in the light of things that are still to come. That's what allows them and enables them to keep going keep going with training that breaks down their bodies that's what their training is designed to do it breaks down the muscles so they can rebuild stronger if those athletes didn't have their attention focused on a future day either in the olympic pool or the olympic stadium if they didn't have that in their mind's eye they would quit they'd probably have quit a long time ago Because no one trains like an Olympian unless they're planning to be in the Olympics. Casual exercisers might think that they're training hard, but they're doing nothing compared with these guys. Because unless we have the goal that they have, we can't train as hard as they can. We can't put up with the pain. I mention all this because it sets us up to think about our passage this morning. It's a passage about living, looking forward. If you haven't already turned there, you'll find it in page 1160. In 2 Corinthians, and we're picking up where we left off last week. So chapter 4, verse 16, and I'll read through to chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is God's word. In this passage, Paul sets out four aspects of what it means to live looking forward. First, he says, we are renewed as we fix our attention on unseen eternal realities. That's chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul began chapter 4 by saying that he does not lose heart, meaning he doesn't give up on the Christian life. He doesn't abandon his responsibility as a servant of God. He doesn't slacken off in his commitment. But we saw last week Paul had plenty of reasons for losing heart. As he served God, he was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. And yet he continues to serve God and speak up for God. What are his reasons for doing that? Well, last week we saw that he believes in the glory of the message he has to share. And he desires to see God glorified as the message spreads. And, he told us, he believes in the resurrection to come. However stressful and distressing his circumstances are, Paul looks beyond his circumstances. He doesn't try to deny his circumstances. He doesn't try to block them out of his mind. But he does look beyond them. And because he does that, he's able to say again here in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. And here in our passage, Paul focuses in on this discipline of looking beyond the things we see with our eyes. And it is a discipline for us. It doesn't come naturally. But we need to develop this discipline if we're going to be able to say, with Paul, we do not lose heart. If you and I can see no further than our present circumstances, then we're sunk, spiritually speaking. So look how Paul opens this up for us. Notice again, he does not deny the reality of his circumstances. In verse 16, outwardly we are wasting away. Let's not tiptoe around the issue. Paul is talking about his physical person, his body and mind. His constant hard work as a messenger of Jesus, the hardships he suffers, beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, and the unrelenting stress of caring for the churches all of that is combining to make Paul waste away. He's just wearing out. Maybe a few weeks holiday would slow down the process very slightly. But nothing can stop this process of wasting away. That's the same for every one of us. Of course, depending on our age, some of us might not realize yet that we're wasting away. But some of you are very aware of it. Your bodies can't do what they used to do. Muscles begin to lose their power. Pains develop and they don't go away. Hair falls out. It's the same for everyone. And on top of that, our specific circumstances can take a big toll. Concerns about work and family brings stress and anxiety on us. That speeds up the wasting away. I'm not trying to depress you here. Because Paul is not depressed. That's the important point here. His circumstances and his wasting away are almost certainly worse than ours. And he's honest about them, but he's not depressed. Why? Because he's looking beyond those things. Verse 16 again. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Let's make sure we get what Paul is saying. Our outward decay is a process. We all know that. It doesn't take place all at once. And here Paul says that our inward renewal is also a process. So he's not talking about being given strength for another day. Of course, God does give us that, but that's not what Paul is thinking about here. He's talking about a process of remaking us. It's important that we get this because we may not think this way about inward renewal. We know that something happens to us at the moment of our conversion. We know that we're changed in some way. We're made new on the inside. And we also know that when we finally appear in God's presence, the last traces of sin will be removed from us. They'll have to be or we wouldn't be able to stand before God. So we know about those changes. But here Paul is talking about a process of renewal. As our outer person is wasting away by degrees... Paul says our inner person is going in the opposite direction. It's being renewed by degrees. Day after day, God is doing his work of new creation in us. We are blossoming into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The great artist Michelangelo said, the more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. The more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. In other words, when he looked at a big block of marble, what he was interested in was the statue inside the block of marble. He could see that statue in his mind. And so as an artist, it was his goal not to preserve that outer block, but to chip away at it. And the more the block fell away... The more the statue inside it grew. The more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. That's a little bit like Paul's point here. The time between our conversion and our death is not a waste of time, it's time when God is inwardly renewing us. He's making us more like the man or woman who will one day live in His presence. (coughs) Our outside may be wasting, but the likeness of Christ is growing in us. Of course, you and I can only see and feel the outward decay. So in order not to lose heart, we have to look beyond what we can feel and what we can see with our physical eyes. By faith, we have to see that God is actually renewing us. Our circumstances are not actually destroying us. It might feel like they are, but in fact they're refining us and causing us to grow. And look what Paul goes on to say, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now Paul has told us enough about his troubles To prove that they were not light and momentary. They were heavy and ongoing. But his point is. Compared to what is to come. Even the worst troubles here on earth are fairly insignificant. I wouldn't dare to tell you that your troubles are light today. But Paul is telling you that. And the troubles he experienced could match any of ours. Paul can only say that his troubles are light and momentary because he's looking beyond them. And as he looks beyond them, he's able to say, they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We could improve slightly on the NIV translation. Our troubles are producing in us, to an incomparable degree, an eternal weight of glory. When we read in the NIV that our troubles are achieving glory for us, we might think that they're earning glory, but that's not Paul's point. He's saying our troubles are used by God to produce in us an eternal weight of glory. He's expanding on what he said in verse 16. He's telling us what he means by inward renewal. God produces in us an eternal weight of glory. The word weight is the important word here, it means something is substantial and solid. If you go ten pin bowling with a balloon, you're wasting your time. But if you get a solid bowling ball in your hand, you can really do some damage. Hopefully down the runway instead of off to the side. Or pick up a kid's plastic drill. It's light and it's useless. A real drill is heavy. It can bore right through your brick wall. Or think about jewelry. I've mentioned before that we took Megan's parents to see the crown jewels. And in the display there, beside one of the crowns, there's a note from one of the royals, a quotation, saying that he got a headache when he had to wear that crown for a few hours. Valuable jewelry is substantial. It's weighty. That's what Paul's getting at when he talks about the weight of glory. It's solid It's more weighty and real than anything else. In contrast to eternal glory, everything else is light. Success and reputation on this earth are insubstantial. And, says Paul, compared to the weighty reality of eternal glory, our troubles are light too. They're real. There's no doubt about that. We can feel them very keenly. But when we look beyond our troubles, when we see what God is producing in us through our troubles, then we see that they are light. And in the context of eternity, they are momentary. Paul is telling us that our troubles are not just unfortunate things that happen to us. God is using them to make us substantial, solid people. Men and women whose fluff has been removed. Men and women who belong in the eternal glory of God's presence. Now at this point, some of us might want to object. If Paul was here, we might want to challenge him. That's not true, Paul. Paul. At least it's not true for me. It sounds good, and I would like it to be true, but my troubles are not producing anything positive in me. If I'm honest, we might say, the only thing they're producing is frustration, and actually bitterness. I'm not becoming a more solid and substantial person. I'm becoming more grouchy and cynical. Well, Paul is not here, but he does have an answer for us. It comes in verse 18. The NIV has put a full stop at the end of verse 17, but actually it should be a comma. Verse 18 is completing the thought of verse 17. And the first word of verse 18 should be because, rather than so. Verse 18 is giving us the cause of verse 17. So if we put verses 17 and 18 together... We get this. Our troubles are producing glory in us because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Paul's point is this inner renewal is not an automatic thing. It happens as we discipline ourselves to look beyond our troubles. Or as the screen says, We are renewed as we fix our attention on unseen eternal realities. There's no doubt if we focus only on our circumstances, we will lose heart. We will become frustrated and bitter. But we are inwardly renewed as we look to the things we cannot see yet. As we do that, glory is produced in us. That's what Paul is saying, and that is what it means to live by faith. We believe in what we cannot see yet, and that makes all the difference to our attitudes and our mindset today. You might have heard the saying that someone is so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly use. Paul says that's rubbish. Those who are truly heavenly-minded are of the most earthly use. They don't lose heart in their service and witness for Jesus. Sure, there are dreamy people around. There are people who are disconnected from reality. But that's not heavenly-mindedness. That's being dreamy and disconnected. True heavenly-mindedness produces inward renewal. And that produces faithfulness and perseverance in this life. So this is not a call for us to opt out of real life and relationships. It's a call to go about life and relationships with an awareness of things we can't see yet. Paul's not saying walk around with your physical eyes closed. He's saying walk around with your spiritual eyes open. The things that we see with our physical eyes are real. But there are unseen things that are even more real. And it's those things which must determine our perspective on life. Paul has mentioned unseen realities, but he hasn't told us what they are yet. That's what he moves on to in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. We groan with expectation... Because we know what God has prepared for us. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What exactly does Paul mean? Well, we know what he means by the earthly tent we live in, he means our mortal bodies. That's what he's been talking about. These bodies that are wasting away. And one day they will finish wasting away. They'll be done. But Paul says that will not mean we're done. Because God has an eternal body prepared for us. That's how most commentators understand this phrase, an eternal house. And I think they're right. When Paul mentioned an earthly tent... He meant a body. It makes sense to understand an eternal house as a body as well. Now, today, we live in a fairly fragile, temporary body. Paul calls it a tent. In the future, we will live in a permanent, glorious body. Paul calls it a house. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul described that glorious body. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's clear that it will be a physical body and also an immortal body. So it will be in continuity with this present body, but it will also in some ways be in contrast to this present body. It will not have any of the weakness of this body. And we will receive it when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. It's a resurrection body. And that resurrection will happen when Christ returns. So we might ask, well, what about the time between our death and resurrection? We know from Scripture that those who die before Christ's return go straight to be at home with the Lord. Paul is going to say that later. But as blessed as that situation is, it's still what theologians call an intermediate state. Those believers who have already died are in God's presence and they are also waiting with us for Christ's return. When that day comes, those who are still alive will be joined by those who have already died and all God's people will receive renewed, glorious resurrection bodies and we'll begin life with God in the new heaven and earth. Paul knows all that's ahead of him. And look what that knowledge produces in Paul in verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. He groans with expectation. And don't misread it. He doesn't say he moans. He's talking about hopeful, expectant longing. In the book of Romans, Paul describes it like this. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When Paul talks about groaning, he means an eagerness to receive what God has for us. So as Christians, yes, we're thankful for every breath we take. We thank God for the food we eat and the measure of health we have and the home we live in. But aren't we still eager for the eternal things he has for us? Don't we long for those greater things? Even as we give thanks for the lesser things that we have now. This is part of what it means to live by faith. We are thankful people and also expectant people. We praise God for his present gifts, but we also groan inwardly because we're eager for his future eternal gifts. And we long for our resurrection bodies not only because they'll be free from pain and weakness, but also and especially because they'll be free from sin. We long for them because when we have them, we'll be able to stand in them in God's presence. One of our songs says, I long to be where the praise is never ending. Yearn to dwell where the glory never fades. When you and I live looking forward, our groaning will not be moaning. It won't be an expression of ungratefulness. It will be an expression of longing for those greater things that are ahead of us. It will be the groaning of expectation. When you and I know that this present world is not our ultimate home, we'll always have a healthy amount of expectant groaning in our hearts. We could call it a holy discontentment with this life. We're all fairly good at unholy discontentment, moaning and taking God's goodness for granted. We're prone to that. But holy discontentment is very different. When we have that, we still praise God for his blessings today. But we also look for the greater blessings to come. If you and I have no holy discontentment, then we've allowed this present world to consume our attention. In verses 3 and 4, Paul changes from talking about tents and houses and he speaks about clothing and nakedness. He's simply underlining the point that our life in eternity will not be a bodiless existence. That was a common idea in Paul's day, that we would spend eternity floating around as disembodied spirits. But the New Testament is clear that will not be the case. And here Paul says, when we leave behind this current body, we will not then be naked for eternity. When Christ returns, we will be clothed with our immortal resurrection bodies. Then Paul says, we are confident because we have the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 5, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says that God has not left us with only promises about the future. He's given us a foretaste of the future today. That foretaste is in the form of his Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, there would be no Christian life. It's the Spirit who shows me my sin and leads me to Christ and shows me the beauty and sufficiency of Christ. It's the Spirit who assures me that Jesus died for me, not just for some people, but for me. It's the Spirit who convinces me that in Christ I'm accepted as a child of God. I can call him Father. It's the Spirit who works through God's Word to comfort me and challenge me. It's the Spirit who carries out God's work of renewal in me. God forgive us if we undervalue the Holy Spirit. And here Paul says our confidence about God's future gifts comes from the fact that we already have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's a deposit Guaranteeing what is to come. So, even as we live in this weak, decaying body, we are confident. Yes, we groan. We would prefer to be out of this decaying body and at home with the Lord. But still, we are confident, even in this decaying body, because God the Holy Spirit is with us. We have not been abandoned. And so, verse 7, we have confidence to live by faith, not by sight. Literally, we walk by faith. As you and I journey on the road of life, we are guided and motivated by things we cannot see yet. It's not that we're blind at the moment. It's just that we don't see all there is to see yet. But even as we journey... We do have a foretaste of what's ahead of us. And so we walk purposefully. We know where we're headed to. And as we walk, Paul says, we are committed to pleasing God because our lives will be evaluated by Christ. Verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. If we genuinely have faith in what God has prepared for us, then we will live to please him today. Obedience is part of what it means to live by faith. Now, we all know that when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. Our debt is paid. We are counted righteous in Christ. We will not face condemnation at the last judgment. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, Paul is certainly not disagreeing with himself. He's the New Testament writer who teaches us the most about faith in Christ freeing us from condemnation. But Paul is also clear that as Christians, our lives will be evaluated at Christ's judgment seat. No genuine believer will face condemnation, but we will all face evaluation. The New Testament says that far too many times for us to ignore it. Here are just a couple of examples. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. That's written to Christians. Each of us will give an account of himself to God, written to Christians. And Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There will be degrees of reward in heaven. It seems that those rewards will take the form of greater responsibilities for service in heaven. We can't say much more than that. We know that our service for God does not earn us a place in heaven. But once we have been granted a place in heaven through faith in Christ, then we will serve God. Or as Paul puts it here, we will make it our goal to please him. Not only when we arrive in his presence, but also today. Today. And this too is part of what it means to live by faith. It means believing that what we do today matters. It counts. A life that is lived to please God will result in eternal blessings. That is one of the eternal realities we look forward to. We started out by talking about Olympic athletes. At best, those athletes have a 10 or 12 year career. And for those few years, they order their lives around future events, the next big competition. Paul has told us that as Christians, we are to order our whole lives around future events, we are to live looking forward. And we know that the things ahead of us are so much greater and more substantial than Olympic medals. God promises us a future that is weighty with glory. That is our encouragement to keep on living by faith. And We're going to respond to God's word as we sing, We'll walk by faith and not by sight.